about finding our way in the desert. Yeah, we, we don't have time for a song. We really don't. Yeah, I've really enjoyed uh, our, this Lent series, you know, which we've called Searching for Our Just Desserts in the Desert. Uh, it's been a challenging one, though, for sure, because the desert as a whole is not a real fun topic. But we started our series describing Lent as a desert experience that starves our appetites and reveals our deepest hunger. And we've talked a lot about the different things that might send us into the desert. We talked about God sending Jesus into the desert. We also talked about how sometimes we choose to go into the desert, that the desert is one of our own making. And even last week, talking about what it's like if the desert is your assignment and your job is to kind of be in this dry, uh, thirsty, starving kind of existence. And that's kind of what your call is. But this morning, one of the things we're going to specifically talk about is how we sometimes find ourselves in that dry and empty time because of the way that others have treated us. So the desert can be a bitter place we settle when we are treated unfairly. Ouch. Uh, does anybody else kind of feel that, kind of a punch in the stomach? It's the, <laughs> yeah. Shots fired. Um, you know, after people treat you unfairly, the temptation is always to kind of go home and just sip on some haterade. Anyone, anyone had this experience? I've had this when, when I've really been treated unfairly. Like, there's times that I've spent months just kind of doing that, just sipping on the bitterness. And it's kind of great. It really is in the sense that it makes you kind of... Uh, it kind of like makes you feel like God, you know, in that moment. You, you know, you're in the place of righteousness, and these people are treating me unfairly. You very much do tend to see yourself as Jesus in that moment, being unfairly nailed to the cross. Or at least I do, but maybe I'm just uh, especially good at um, false martyrdom, uh, which I think probably I am. But we see that this temptation goes back uh, a long ways. This temptation to drink the bitter water goes all the way back to the Israelites in the desert. Right after being freed from, obviously, a very unfair situation of the captivity of slavery in Egypt, we see this in Exodus 15. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah, because it means bitter. And if we spoke Hebrew, we would know that. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? So, uh, hello, my name is Joel, and I am a bitter grumbler. This morning, yeah, this morning we're going to be talking a little bit about bitterness, uh, but while I go sulk in a corner somewhere with my tall glass of bitterness, uh, I'm going to invite Raymond up here to preach the rest. So I give you our senior pastor, Raymond McDonald. You got to extend your applause. He's still, he's still making his way up there. That's so unfair. You know, you're doing it like that, you know, because, you know, for other people, you clap all the way down here. But for me, they quit clapping five foot. That's unfair. It's unfair. There's, you know, I'm grumbling, you know, because life is just, 
And what do we say when our kids say it's unfair? Life's not fair, right? Which just helps it, which just helps it seem more unfair, right? When they say that. So why do we say that? Because we're so bitter, we don't, we're trying to help them get bitter with us, you know? Just get, it's not fair. Don't, don't expect good things. Jesus is there. That should be enough, you know, kind of that uh, way we go at it. Well, guys, the truth is, uh, this unfair desert, as you would call it, is, is that place, as is, is Joel, Joel just told you, is that we, we seem to settle in. And during Lent, when we're looking for that desert experience, we're wrapping that up, you may be going through ex- some experiences that feel like desert, and you go, why am I in this kind of desert area? And uh, sometimes it's not something that just was done yesterday. Most times, the desert that we create or the desert we settle in has been there for a long time. We've been, you know, we've been working on that desert. And today we're going to kind of Quentin Tarantino this thing. We're going to flip the narrative around, and we're going to look at a story of a man, end of his life, and move more towards the middle of his life. We're not going to look at his birth or anything. Uh, and this is where we'll be wrapping up the desert experience. Uh, and I, I guarantee you, Jonathan won't be talking about deserts when he comes in. But all this to say to you that let's see if any of this rings true with us, because I am the guy who I like it fair. Now, if you don't think it's fair, that's your that's because you're looking through the wrong lens. But I like it fair for me. Right. So we invite you come Holy Spirit as we delve into the life of David, King David, uh, the one whose line you would come from, Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, would come from David. So today, Lord, would you share with us these things? In Jesus' name, amen. First Kings 2, 1 through 6. When the time drew near for David to die, and now, real quick, David's the king. Anybody ever heard of King David? He's the one Jesus comes out of. He is the guy who's done all these great things in life. He's the one every king wants to be like, right? Well, it's, he's about ready to die here. Time comes for him to die. He gave a charge to Solomon, his son. And listen to this. Who, who wouldn't want to be this great father? I'm about to go the way of the earth, he said. So be strong and act like a man. <laughs> he was a Texan. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commandments, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. You can even hear his voice reverberating on his deathbed. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me, which was if your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Man, this is good fatherly advice on the deathbed. And all of us wish to have this deathbed experience when we die where we can really set everyone up and give it to them. You know, tell them, I've been there for you. I left you a, a little gift over here behind the cabinet. You've got something in the curio cabinet. It's a precious moment statue. But whatever, we, 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 we're trying to give it. Well, David's got more to give Solomon. By the way, Solomon, his son, was the child of Bathsheba, who was his good friend's wife. So uh, he did have an affair with Bathsheba, but he made it okay because he went ahead and killed his good friend so that now she was a widow and he could marry her. So he, was, he, he handled it quietly. Uh, the point is this, is, this isn't pretty, right? 
But Solomon, is, he has chosen to be, in, in some sense, he felt he owed it to Bathsheba after screwing her life up to say, your son will be the king. And so Solomon, even after his brother, one of his brothers jumped up there to be, Adonijah said he was going to be king. David stepped up and said, no, Solomon will be the king. And uh, so David um, is now giving that great advice to his son. He goes on and says this here. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, he strained, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace, which means kill him, right? So it just went from a nice preacherly Billy Graham type discussion to Michael from, you know, um, you know, Godfather. All right. So this is this is what he's doing. Uh, by the way, these I need you to kill this guy. And he goes on and has him kill another person later on. But we're just going to stick with one uh, planned murder here today. Why am I bringing this up? This is the end of his life, guys. This is what everything in his life has stood for. He has walked in the ways of God. He's a man after God's own heart is the way he's described. And yet on his deathbed, he turns to his son and says, I need you to kill the sons of Zeruiah here. He says it right here, Joab, son of Zeruiah. Zeruiah, by the way, is not a man. Some of you thought that was a man's name. It is a woman's name. It is actually his sister. It's his nephew. Go kill my nephew. Go kill your cousin, basically. And why? Because he killed two leaders. These two leaders were leaders that David loved. But in war, you understand, in David's house, there was always a war going on. Matter of fact, uh, the first one we see here with Abner. Abner would end up, when David had fled from Saul, who was the king at the time, ends up becoming uh, the general of, of Saul's army. And so when he was fighting against Saul, and we'll be talking about that in a minute, Abner and, he, Abner and he were in battle. But Abner would eventually fall in war because he uh, was killed by Joab after David had said to Abner in a private meeting, Abner, we're at peace. We're cool now. You go on home. Everything's fine. Joab, his commander, his nephew, ran into him and tricked him and killed him. It was very disloyal to him. What I want you to see here today is that the unfair desert leads to a legacy of bitterness. That's the main thing I want to say. There's a legacy of bitterness that we leave behind when we live in the unfair desert. And what the unfair desert means is you know what I'm talking about. You're living in these things that were done to you or weren't done for you. Maybe you didn't get your inheritance. Maybe you had that ex-husband who you put through school who ended up leaving you when you got a little older and he got him some young trophy wife who now is old too. <laughs> Don't you love that? Uh, and, and so, but the issue is bitterness sets in. And bitterness has been defined as undealt with pain. When pain doesn't get dealt with, when we super Christian it up and go, you know what, I'm just going to forgive them, and you don't deal with that, you just get mad all the time. This kind of thing's going on. David, by the way, has had Joab as the commander of his army 
his entire ministry, his entire kingdom ministry, as you will. He tried to replace him a couple of times, and each time he tried, such as with Amasa. Amasa was different. Joab called Amasa to him after he found out that David was trying to make him. The commander said, come here. And when he come up, he grabbed him by the beard and then thrust his knife into him. For those of you who have beards, remember that little trick if you're ever hanging out with your friends. Joab was a murdering fool. Joab, when he went out to help David fight against David's own son, Absalom, giving you that story, Absalom was David's son, and he loved him. He was so good-looking. All the women loved Absalom. One day, he went to war against David, and when he did, well, um, David said, please do not kill. Whatever you do, don't kill my son. They found Absalom one day hanging from the trees with his long hair because he was running from him on a donkey, and he caught up in the trees, and he was just hanging there like that. For you men with long hair, remember that one. That is why we don't believe in long hair as Christians. To go with the same reason why we don't dance. Because John the Baptist was beheaded. All right. So during the dance program. All right. So in this case here, he's hanging there. And Joab, who had been given the word to not kill the king's son, killed the king's son. He was always doing it wrong against David. Matter of fact, David even said to after Absalom got killed, David went into mourning. And so all the all the men who had fought to set him free from Absalom and bring him back to his throne had to sneak into town and go, wow, we, this isn't a good day. It's a bad day. And Joab went to David and said, how dare you sit in here and mourn for your son and all your soldiers out there fought for you. You're bad, bad, bad king, basically. And David had to sit there and just live up under the shame. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see, David has become bitter over Joab. He never dealt with him on his deathbed. He is now asking his son to kill him. He has just taken something that was in him and handed it to his son. You get my point? Parents, the bitterness we have, we pass it on. Pastors, the bitterness you have, you pass it on. Teachers, leaders, aunts, uncles, it doesn't matter. When you have undealt with bitterness inside, undealt with issues, you will pass it on. And it just grows and it grows and it grows. Let's move forward. Are you with me today? First thing you heard was that the desert, sometimes we settle in the desert uh, because of unfairness, as I recall, you got it from, from, from Joel. But now I'm saying now the unfair desert leads to legacy of bitterness. So how did David get there? How did this old man laying on his bed, the last thing he wants to say is go kill a man. How did he get to here? Well, let's start backing up down his story and look at it. Let's see what's happening. Why are we talking about Abner? Why are we talking about all these things? Abner, again, who was King Saul's cousin and the commander of Saul's army, we just said that. Let's move forward. Second Samuel 3.20. When Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, which 
By the way, David's at Hebron. It's a lot of narrative here, guys. i got to help you. David's at Hebron because he's been told he's going to be the king after he kills Goliath, right? Actually, before he kills Goliath, as a kid, he was told by Samuel he would be the anointed king. He goes and he kills Goliath, and he ends up living in King Saul's court as a worship leader. Very tough gig with spears being thrown at you, but that's what's going on. And so he's a worship leader in King Saul's court. He's also married to King Saul's daughter, Michael, because he had killed Goliath. So he's kind of the family. But uh, as you know, that Saul would chase him out into the uh, wilderness, as it were, and chase him. But in this case here, here sits David in Hebron, fixing to be installed in Jerusalem, but at Hebron now. So they came to David at Hebron, and David prepared a feast for him and his men, for Abner. That's what you do when you like someone, by the way. And Abner said to David, let me go out at once and assemble all Israel for my Lord the king so that they may make a covenant with you and that you may rule over that all your heart's desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. He goes in peace, as I've already told you, and he goes out. Um, and in peace, he's going to run into Joab, who is David's commander, supposed to be serving the king. Joab then left David and sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern at Sirah. But David didn't know it. Now, when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the inner chamber as if to speak with him privately and there to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel because Abner had killed his brother. Actually, kind of accidentally. His brother was trying to kill Abner. Abner stopped with a spear. And because Asahel was fleet of foot, he ran right into the back of a spear and it went through him and killed him. Again, for those of you who run fast and have names like Goodwin and stuff, understand that's what you need to watch out for is the spear. So there's a lot to learn here about killing and dying. So, but he's going to avenge him. Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. Later, when David heard about this, he said, Listen to this lament of King David. I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall on the head of Joab and on the whole family. May Joab's family never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy. <laughs> hey, you got to hate someone pretty bad to wish a running sore on them forever. Anyone here had a running? Never mind, don't, don't do that. Or who leans on a, he says, may he never have be without someone who has a running sword, leprosy, who leans on a crutch, who falls by the sword, who lacks food. May his family be cursed. So on the day, all the people there and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. And the king said to his men, do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak. And those sons of Zeruiah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. You hear this. This is years before he would die and ask his son to deal with this. So as we look at these kind of things, understand that the unfair desert is filled with betrayal and jealousy. Now, as you look back in your life and you're dealing with the desert experiences that are unfair, understand that we don't want to get you to the deathbed where you're passing on your bitterness. You understand that. We all want to get to that place where we're not. And we realize on the deathbed, when you're filled with anger and all your life you're filled with something, it started long before, long down the road. And there comes a time to deal with things, 
not on your deathbed by getting your son to kill all your enemies, but basically earlier. Don't you think David could have realized when he stood in front of all these people that he hated Joab? He wished running sores on his life, for crying out loud. Why am I saying this? Because some of you are in a place where you have been hurt and unfair things have been done, and you think it's just, hey, look, as, as Joel said earlier, it feels so righteous when someone does you wrong. I'm right. They did me wrong, and you feel okay, but it, you're left with the betrayal and the sin is on you because you now are filled with bitterness. Sin is a missing the mark. You're filled with something that God can't bless. You're filled with a, a, a spiritual tumor that just sits there and rots away your life. David hates Joab, the commander of his army. But when you are out in the desert and you are looking at your bitter life, I want you to look back and realize when you were in that desert that was unfair, meaning that place where you walk away and no one's around you, understand that you're around people who are jealous and they are also uh, very much keen to betrayal. They are coming near you in a sense, but understand that's what the deserts feel like with that. Why is that? Why do you think it is that way when you're out in the unfair desert that there's betrayal and, and jealousy out there? Because you're hanging out with people who went through the same thing you went through. Because that's who we go to. We don't hang out with people who go, well, you know, you need to forgive them and, and they get it right. We hang out with the people who are out there going, hey, no, you were done wrong. I don't blame you for being upset. Stroke, stroke, stroke. They help you get there. Untray, uh, betrayal and jealousy that's going to be there. Paul encourages us this. He says, get rid of bitterness, rage and art and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the key way that we get rid of this. Now, I said earlier, you're super Christian saying I forgive them. I'm not saying don't forgive. I'm saying the first way we be, that we can forgive is realize this here, that we're hurt. Did you just hear what I said? The first way you can forgive someone is to admit you've been hurt by them. Because if you think you're too good to have been, ah, I don't care about those people, but you do, you line yourself and you'll just sit in the bitterness. The way we forgive is to say, you really hurt me. What you did really hurt. And when someone comes and says, hey, will you forgive me? And you've got that pain, you can say, before I do, can I tell you what happened? Can I tell you how, it, I'm not trying to bury you, I'm just trying to say, this is what happened when you did that to me. I lost my business, which ended up costing me my relationship with my wife, and I haven't seen my kids in 20 years. So, yes, I'm going to forgive you, but I want you to understand what I'm forgiving. It wasn't just that you stole from me and bankrupted my account. It really destroyed my life. Hey, now you're forgiven. Have fun. Uh, but do you understand? That may seem mean, but in a way it, it gets the accounts clean. So they can go, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. Well, it was a pretty big deal. So you've been a big part of my life. And, of course, that person could say, well, I never robbed from you. You've got the narrative wrong. But my point is then you could, they, you could get that answered back, and the narrative could be I never did steal from you. That wasn't me. It was my no-good brother who did that. You see what I'm saying? And it can help that person on. 
And let's move forward as you understand that the unfair desert that you're hanging out in isn't safe because it's filled with betrayal and jealousy. The people who are supposed to be serving you often are the ones who are going to betray you because you are attracting the same kind of people you are. That's what goes on. Let's see what's going on. First Samuel 30 says it's here. As we rewind and look at David here in the desert, he's, he's led a group of men, and he's following them. One day he returns to the desert. They're out there. Understand, these are the people long before this here. He's out in the desert, and they're raiding. They go out raiding, you understand, which isn't good. But he would go raiding villages that weren't Jewish or weren't of Israel. And one day he comes back to his town, Ziklag. What a name of a town, huh? Um, and he comes back to Ziklag, and guess what? All the women and children are gone and everything's been raided. Let's go ahead and look at this. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day, and the Malachites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, which Negev means the southern part. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. If you didn't get it the first time, the narrative gives it to you three times. The women and children are gone. The town is burned. These people aren't living in Israel. Why? Because they followed David to the desert because David has been run out in the unfair desert where he's being treated unfair by King Saul. King Saul is blaming him for things he didn't do. He loves King Saul. Remember that. But he's out here in the unfair desert. And he's getting surrounded by people who are betrayers and people like that, as he will see. But this is the first thing that happens. All these guys come with him, and he's leading them around. And they come back and find that their village is burned. And this is what it says. David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinanoma, Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, who was a rich man who David didn't like, so he killed him and took his wife. David was greatly distressed. Because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Capture that. Each one of them come back and say, they love David. Oh, we love him. He's going to be the new king, man. What happened to, her? What happened to my wife? Where's my, we're going to stone you, brother. You see how quick that happens? Bitter. These men are bitter in spirit. David recovered everything as the story would go on. The Amalekites had taken. He went off. He found some Egyptian out in the desert who had got tired, and so his master left him there. And he said, look, I won't kill you if you lead us to the Amalekites. So he did. He finds them all, and he gets them there. He, takes, he, he returns everything, recovered everything that was taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, a boy or girl, a plunder, anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back, and he took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the livestock. And this is what they were saying. This is David's plunder, meaning he's our king. Fickle people, right? Why am I telling you this? Because in this desert, that you are in. You might understand this here. The unfair desert is not a place to find loyalty. You're not going to find loyal people out there in that desert wandering. They'll be out there. You'll feel them. You'll feel them come to you. And I could put the word rejected desert too because it's very close because you feel rejected. It's not right. It's not fair. I was supposed to be in this place. And believe me, I've been passed over for promotions in my life. And I was so hurt by it. 
And my good friends were the ones who just, not my good friends generally, it's generally other people come near you and say, you should have been that guy. You should have got that job. Why do they do that? Because they're looking for a friend too. And it's a good time to become your friend. But they're not, that's not loyal friends. I've been here, right here, and had people come down the first day they ever been in church and said, I got a word for you, brother. People are going to betray you in this church. Your friends, their leaders, your leaders. But I will never leave your side. I will be with here with you to the end. I knew what was fixing to happen. It wouldn't be long before that person was undermining me every way they could. Because they don't understand loyalty. They, don't under, they, they get jealous quickly and they get enraged. That's what happens when we live in the unfair desert. And we're around unfair people. When we don't deal with the issues that are there. This is what it, we're attracting. And it's what it comes. Flies will come to what stinks. That's the way it works. Are you with me today? Or is the backwards thing screwing with you? Trying to get you how you become the bitter man at the end of your life who is a king whose lineage would be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But this one guy and his brothers, his nephews. This is what Proverbs says. Bad work gets paid with a bad check. Good work gets solid pay. Take your stand with God's loyal community and live or chase after phantoms of evil and die. God can't stand deceivers, but oh, how he relishes integrity. For our own self, we understand this here. You also can be the person out in that desert when you're in the unfair desert running up to someone and understand you're not going to be able to be loyal. How can you be loyal when you don't know what loyalty is? It's not the way it works. Let's read a little bit further. Still during David's time in the desert, just a little further back, we see a time in 1 Samuel 26 when, when, when Saul, whom David is, is running from, almost catches up to David. But David gets the jump on him. His nephew Abishai, which is, by the way, Joab's brother, uh, gets down with him. And they go and they see that Saul is over there camping in another encampment. So they go over and they walk up. And they, they realize that he's asleep, and so they, they take his jug of water and a spear, basically. And then they run back. But before they do, this is what goes on. It says here, David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Amishai, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, who would go down into the camp with me to see Saul or to see to Saul? And Abishai says, I'll go with you. So David and Abishai, another son of Zeruiah, went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers, again, Abner is Saul's commander. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike it twice. Capture this. He's hanging out in the desert with other un rejected people and he's learning some bad habits did I tell you about David he loves King Saul did I tell you about King Saul he loves David did I tell you about David he's running from King Saul did I tell you about King Saul because King Saul's throwing spears literally spears at David talking about killing him anytime he can it's truly an unfair situation but yet David in this unfairness David, knowing it's unfair, has not yet become a victim. 
He hasn't given himself over to victimage, which allows him to become this disloyal uh, person, this person who sees it only that it's been done wrong to him and takes power to that. Because David says it's here. Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he'll go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug there near his head and let's go. David says, I'm not going to kill my king, my leader. Who comes up with such crazy ideas? Who would come up with that? Abishai, son of Zeruiah. Well, the unfair desert's an un undermining environment. And when you're out there in the unfair desert, you will have everyone around you helping you and wanting you to help undermine the system that you serve. Am I telling you the truth? You've been there with that bunch of scoundrels, right? I'm hoping you hold on to this. I won't be that. I won't be disloyal, even though it's unfair what's happening. I know this here, that for Teresa and I, when we said we wanted to plant a church in Park City, and we were taken into a group of leadership, and they stood and told me for about an hour, each leader went through and said, you're not a church planner. You think you're something. You're nothing. I've planted four churches, one guy said, and you're not a church planner. Another guy said, well, you, you think you're something because you write music and play worship here, but you're not that. One girl said, you know what? You're a really bad father. Your kids call me because I'm the youth pastor, and you ought to hear what they say about you. I'm just sitting there going, all oh, that's probably true. I mean, who hasn't been a bad father? If you knew, if you knew Carrie, you knew that I was a bad father um, until I was a good father. The point is, is kids are always complaining against their parents, so uh, that's the way it works. I didn't buy her the bathing suit she wanted that summer. Uh, all, all that meaning that I'm sitting in a room. I knew what it was like, but I would, I, I would not trash my pastor. I would not leave the church until we got blessed. As a matter of fact, I got a call from the regional leader of that district, and he said, do I need to come down there and get things clear? I said, no, sir. He said, I can't have it that one of the most known people in, at that time, I was well known in the vineyard because I was touring a lot, is going to end up in a fight with a pastor. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be ugly for, my, is, for me as a regional leader. I said, I give you my word, I will not do that. I will not trash this church. I will wait till I'm blessed before I go. And Teresa and I waited for months for a blessing, and it wasn't coming quick. They weren't changing their mind. They would not let me meet with the worship team. I was the worship pastor. They would not allow me to, to tell anyone we were going to leave. They made me sit amongst my friends and just basically lie to their face that I was leaving or wasn't leaving until the day that one day they blessed us. They wrote us a check to go home and got before the church and blessed us and put hands on us to go. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't fair. In the end, Bobby and Tina would become those pastors there, the worship pastors. And the first thing Bobby did was say, you're going to make things right with my brother because what you did to him was wrong. God handled it the way God wanted to handle it. It demonstrated Bobby and Tina's leadership and it allowed Teresa and I just to walk out of there and to show love and not destroy everything. I'm not going to destroy stuff because I was done wrong. Does that make sense? Now, 
Why am I saying that? Because I'm fixing to treat all you wrong and I expect you to do right by me. No, it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be honest and discuss it, and I did with them. But they weren't in the place that they could see that us going and playing a church was a good God thing, right? I'm just saying today, don't live in the rejection and the pain. Don't do that. When your kid looks at you and says, and they're four years old, and says they hate you, do you go to your bedroom and roll up on the bed and suck your thumb? No, you go, you don't hate me. You're just mad because I didn't give you candy, right? You, you understand your position, and you understand a child is trying to deal with emotions and doesn't understand what that even means. So it is in the world. So it is in the world, even with adults. It's an undermining environment, and Psalm 68 says this here, the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And when you attract rebellious people around you, believe me, they will scorch your sun. Uh, they'll scorch your land. When we are rebellious people, we will attract rebellious people to us. And rebellious people, guess what? Rejected people reject people. And they get hurt easy. When someone comes to you and says, I left the last church because they hurt me over there, know pretty much quickly that you'll be hurting them too. Do you understand that? I left the last, they were my best friend. Rick Valley, that was my best friend, but you know what? They just, they just quit calling me, and they hated me, and, and you wouldn't do that. You're like, oh, my gosh, I hope I don't get sick or something, and forget to call, right? Because we know that, and by the way, I've been that person, so I can speak with definition on this. I've been the most rejected guy in the world, and when you become a leader and you're rejected, you just give it to everyone else behind you. You can't do that. Lay it down. All this started, this is the day it could have changed. The day that David decided that it was time to flee. And the question could be asked, should David have fleed from Saul? He did beat Goliath, right? <laughs> he did get Sworn he would be the king by the prophet. He could at one point said, I think God's doing something here. I can stay. But he did flee. And he fled for good reason, I will say. But David left Gath. And he escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers in his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Those are the uh, nephews that came in the package. By the way, I have a nephew here today, a couple of nephews here, as a matter of fact, but one of them, Josh, back in the back. Please never try to kill my generals. Thank you. But, and those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Did you just read that list, Gordon? All the good folks. All the quality folks. I, I, I would probably fit on that list in more ways than one. I'm just saying that when we flee, there's a tendency for us to connect with that group well. When we're sent, some things are different. And that's one of the reasons why Teresa and I waited for that blessing so long is because even though it didn't come with money or much, it was just a way of us knowing that we were walking and right standing with God. And believe me, they weren't saying good things about me. They weren't saying good things at all. But we waited 
to do things in a way that would allow us to not walk out in unfair desert. We could have told everyone they did us so wrong, and we did tell some folks. I'm telling you right now, aren't I? So there you go. But I want to tell you this. It was healed, and I thank Bobby for that. It takes a brother to step in. Another time, I, I would, and by the way, the unfair desert attracts others mired in bitterness to our cause. And when I went through it with a good friend in music, he and I had a great ministry together. We traveled around the world having a wonderful time. At one point, uh, uh, I said, man, you need a better band. And I got Bobby and uh, Kevin, our drummer, to, to go, and that was the band. So it was, it was wonderful. But me and that leader of the band had a fallen out. And um, it was over finances and money. And I'll never forget a pastor and he called me from uh, Bakersfield, California. and said, I, I'm hearing out there that the two of you are having a fight. I said, well, I ain't having a fight. He's just, I mean, I, you know, I get it. He needs more money. He's just doing me wrong. <laughs> it didn't take long that the pastor knew I was bitter, right? And he said, you know what, as much as I know you guys are a great band, I can't have you here on my stage putting that stuff into my church. Wise man. I remember being so bitter with him. I remember being in Switzerland on tour with him, and Bobby was there. And um, I was so angry, so mad. And uh, Bobby walked up to me and said, you know, I know what he did to you. And by the way, he's talking about you too. But you're my brother, and you're a better man than this. You're bitter, and you need to confess it, and you need to forgive him. And I responded to Bobby, you have no idea what he's done to me. Uh, the Lord strike him with sores, runny sores. You know, it just, my point is that it took a real brother to step in and chance that breaking of our relationship and say, I'm not one of those people who's coming to your cause. I'm not one of those bitter people coming to your cause. You can get mad at me. Because I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong. I'm here to tell you that the bitterness is wrong and you got to get it out of you. And me and that guy now are best friends and we love each other like brothers again. We were best friends. And what I lamented much more than the money and playing on stage with him was that my best friend was lost to me. And my brother helped restore that relationship for me. Be a good brother, be a good sister. Know that when someone's hurting that there's, and they're in that cave, that many are going to them and encouraging them to go out and take that on as an identity, become a, a raider, be someone who goes on and starts their own kingdom. And it may be that you're going to start something, but not in bitterness. Because what starts in bitterness ends on a deathbed of bitterness. And if I can tell you one thing in Christ Jesus that I want for your life today, and that's to have a good funeral. A funeral where all your family can come, not just half. Where everyone can be talked 
of in a kind way instead of going, don't mention that person. That was, that was his fling. We don't mention that son. Guys, I do a lot of funerals. And I know the inside scoop on every one of them. I want a good funeral. And that doesn't mean a lot of limos. That means that everyone can come and say, yeah, he hurt me. but We walked through it. And I hurt him at times, and he forgave me. This is what relationship is, forgiving and walking in righteousness before the Lord, a kingdom that walks where we're not giving our son the marching orders to kill the, the last guy who hacked us off. That we can help our family forgive and move forward. That we can be people who live in a kingdom that isn't in the desert of unfairness. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character, Paul would write. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say that this to your shame. And this point was dealing with those kind of things there. Remember the bitter water that Joel started the whole thing with out in the desert? Well, this is the end of that story. Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord allowed him, showed him a piece of wood. It's kind of dark up here. I can barely see this. So he cried out to the Lord about the bitter water, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. That's Exodus 15. I don't have to go far to let you see the picture, do I? Well, this is what Colossians says. God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him. Talking of Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'm saying today that the bitter waters of Meribah. Let's throw the cross into the wood, water. That's the wood we throw in the water. I can't forgive people because I want to. There's really not a way to do it any more than there is to heal someone. I'm not a doctor. If I see that you have a disease, I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to ask God to heal you. And when it comes to unforgiveness in my life, I've come to find out that is the only healing. The only way I get the full healing is saying, God, you are the only one who can heal this bitterness in me. I need friends who will call me on it, but I also need friends who will pray with me on it and realize it isn't just a throwaway thing. Well, I forgive you. Two kids standing together, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Doesn't work. Would you stand with me as we close? I want us to think today of those who we've held in derision, those who we would love to put the curse of the runny sore on. I know, gross, but it, it paints the picture. Some of us are in the, we're like Dave in a cave, you know what I'm saying? We've run there. Maybe you're here, but in your heart, you've experienced what you don't feel is fair, or maybe it isn't fair, it doesn't matter because perception is 90% of what we believe. And it, we're experiencing that inside. And it's okay 
to say I feel slighted. It's okay to say I feel like I'm, I'm not loved. It's okay to say I'm tired of you chunking spears at me while I'm playing music. Um, but I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come and move here today. The woundedness that's been given by pastors, friends, mainly mom and dad, because they mean so much to us that it's so easy for their offense to, to light our lives up. Would you come, Heavenly Father, right now? Jesus, would you just come into the bitter waters that we have that have been there? That we don't want to have a legacy uh, that is going to be one of unforgiveness. We don't want to have that legacy of bitterness, Heavenly Father. Let the waters be sweetened, as it were, by the precious wood of the cross, the precious wood that comes with grace and forgiveness and love, the blood-stained cross. As we look toward Easter, we realize in this desert, you gave it all, that we might be able to give it all by giving you everything that has wounded and hurt and destroyed us. We sing a song this morning, I Give You My All, a song I wrote during that time there in Park City where I was hurting so bad, feeling so depressed, so rejected, so unfairly treated. I wrote that song, I Give You My All. I'll break the bread, I'll drink the wine. And remember that your life was given for mine. Come Holy Spirit now. Come Holy Spirit now. And as we ask the Spirit to come, I ask the ministry team to come forward. And ministry team, if you need to get prayer, you get prayer too. You may not be able to confess. You may not be able to, but maybe you're just feeling yourself in the cave. Maybe you're at one step where you're getting surrounded by those who are telling you you're all that in a bag of chips. It's okay. Move forward when you know you're locked in bitterness in pain let's deal with these things guys maybe you are near the end of your life and you realize there's there's people on your deathbed you would love to give a hit list for let's not go to our grave with that and maybe today your body has even moved into a place of pain maybe you, you know, some of you, it's a it's a, a left shoulder just behind the shoulder there, the blade. It's just a gnawing pain that hits you there all the time. And if that's you today, I think the Lord's it may not be have anything to do with forgiveness or unforgiveness, but it's just the stress of things. Just the Lord wants to remove that from you. He wants to take that bitterness away too, that pain. Let's come to the cross today. And let it be dipped into the bitter of our souls and our heart. Let's walk and realize that he makes whole that which was cheated. He's near the brokenhearted. So I invite you to come down. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, as I said earlier, ask Jesus into your heart. Give him your life. I gave him mine. I gave him mine when I was five. I gave him mine when I was 29. I'm going to keep giving him that because there's not enough redemption. I haven't gotten enough. I'm going to keep saying, yes, Lord, re-up it, re-up it. Come, Holy Spirit.
Now I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you would know the Father who loves you dearly and has sent his Son to come and meet you in the place of hurt and pain and rejection and brokenness and to bring you to the place of relationship with the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, the three in one, joining together with you, walking in this life, blessing you in Jesus' name. Amen.